Good morning. Let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your love, for your kingdom of truth and liberty. We ask that your spirit will join us and lighten our minds. We thank you for Jesus and help us to keep him at the center of all we're doing. Give us discerning minds to be able to discern through the uh, the various uh, narratives that are going on, the various theories and uh, and information data sets that we can actually see what's real and what's true and that we can follow where you're leading we pray in your holy name amen we are doing lesson four in the quarterly um present truth in deuteronomy and it's entitled the love to love the lord your god and just before we get into the lesson to make an announcement and for those who didn't see it yet there is a group of seventh-day adventists uh who put together an appeal to the Seventh-day Adventist Church entitled, To the Seventh-day Adventist Church, an Appeal in Defense of Liberty of Conscience. And uh, it is well done. It supports the principles of liberty and freedom that we've been advocating for a long time. And it's an open letter that anyone can sign. If you read it and agree with it and want to sign it, you can add your name to it. Uh, I put the link in the notes. If you want the link, it's uh, libertyandhealth.org libertyandhealth.org and uh, forward slash liberty. And you will find go straight to that document. I encourage you to check it out. On Wednesday evening, they did a live webcast uh, uh, talking about this document, and they had uh, Dr. Ben Carson on, who um, spoke about the principles of uh, the constitutional principles of liberty. And uh, I watched that live on on a, on a I think it was a Facebook or YouTube. I think it was a YouTube feed. And, and as it was happening, you can see live comments being made by people who were viewing it live. And a couple of people kept. Um, kept popping up this little comment over and over again. Uh, this isn't about liberty. If you love people, you get the vaccine, unquote. A couple of people kept doing that. And uh, what's the problem with that statement? The problem with that statement is love cannot exist in an atmosphere without freedom. When you take liberty, you destroy love and you incite rebellion. And this is one of Satan's traps in the day and we're living. Set up a situation where people believe it's actually righteous to advance a cause by taking freedoms from others, by mandates, by force, by threats or economic pressures. And it's not right to do that. The memory text for today, Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I had prepared my lesson... And you know my notes, 17 pages. And there was nothing in my notes about COVID at all. Just focusing on our, our lesson to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind. And those notes are still here, and we're going to hopefully get to them. But, uh, <laughs> you guys know me too well, don't you? But then I received this email this week. Just a couple of days ago, I received this email. And I thought, as I read this email, what does love do? How does love respond? Love is truthful, isn't it? Love seeks to free people that if you see them entangled and their minds being deceived, love wants to present truth to set them free, doesn't it? Well, here's the email. And, and again, love the Lord. If you love the Lord, you love people, don't you? Right? Here's the email. Please get back to the Bible and out of social issues and politics such as COVID-19, the left and the right, Afghanistan. Dr. Jennings, you're beginning to sound like a Fox News anchor. It makes me sick. I hate what you're becoming. 
You should know that leadership requires difficult decision-making. Over 700,000 people have died in this country alone. So what do you do with a virus that is spawning variants by the day? If you are around people, you, if you are not around people, you do nothing. However, if you are working around others, you vaccinate for your own safety, your family's safety, and for the safety of others until this thing is finally under control. I can see your point of the government, um, if the government was merely forcing this on people for reasons of obvious control of its citizenry or as a precursor to additional enforcements in the future. But be for real. We are in a pandemic, and that is taking thousands of lives by the day. And yes, you should know that with every vaccination and every medication, there will be side effects, but they pale in comparison to the number of people who are being saved from the worst of the virus and most of all death. So can we back, can we get back to the Holy Bible, our great commission, and sharing the love of Jesus as we prepare for the soon coming of Savior? Please. So what does love do when you read something like this? This person's frustrated and angry, I, I think. Uh, appears that they, they're concerned that I'm misperceiving the dangers from COVID and listening to right-wing talk show hosts and not speaking about pertinent Bible issues. Well, no wonder she's upset. I would be upset too if I thought somebody I valued was being misled to the point that they were no longer presenting the truth. That would upset me. So I understand the, the distress that this person is concerned for me and thinking I'm being misled. So if you're the one who emailed, thank you for reaching out. Can we agree that the solution is the truth? Jesus said, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a principle that applies to everything in life, every aspect, not just spiritual things. Truth frees us from lies. And according to Paul, the, the, those who are lost at the end of time are lost because they did not love the truth and thus be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Now, if you go to the gymnasium and work out your muscles, they will get stronger. And after you have that increased strength, are you restricted to only use that strength at the gym? No, you get to use it everywhere. Likewise, when you exercise your God-given abilities to reason and think and discern, these abilities develop and strengthen, and you are not restricted to using them just in one area. You get to use that discerning skill across the landscape of life, discerning truth from error. This is a spiritual exercise. Loving truth, discerning truth, moving forward in truth, no matter what it is you're practicing discerning through, strengthens your discerning skills. That's a spiritual exercise. When I was in college and I was presented with evolutionary, godless evolutionary theories, I had to study them. I had to understand the theories of them. I had to compare them with scripture and I had to make a decision on what was true and what was not true. Was this just science or was this a spiritual exercise? This was a spiritual exercise, developing my reasoning and discerning skills. The righteous, the saved are those who have minds that love truth. They are open to be corrected by facts and evidence and truth. They know that they're finite beings and that their current understanding may not always be 100% accurate. And they're willing to examine new perspectives and evidences and update their perspectives when they're persuaded that better explanations and data is available. That's the type of mind I want to have and for which I have prayed repeatedly to have a mind that loves truth 
and is able to understand the truth, assimilate the truth, and move forward in truth at the earliest possible moment, I'm capable of understanding it. That's the heart and mind I want. This is part of what it means to be humble. A humble person is one who can learn, who can update, who can be corrected when they're wrong. I have not always been humble. No, I have believed things that were not true and had to change my beliefs on many things. And and sometimes when I was presented with a view that challenged mind, it was not pleasant. I didn't enjoy it. It made me get upset. But as I examined and the better view was embraced, actually, my life got better. I don't want to cling to error. I want to follow the truth at the earliest possible moment. So there's a truism. Remember this truism? You can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day you deal with it. Truth always comes home. Some will delay until they're facing the great white throne. But that truth still comes home. So emailer, can we examine your concerns in light of truth and the principles of God? You're concerned about what I have been saying because you have a different beliefs about what has happened and what is happening. Is our beliefs what we believe, in whom we believe and trust, why we believe, upon what we base our beliefs? Are these things important? Is, Is examining our beliefs and establishing them in harmony with truth and God's word a responsibility of the Christian? If we pursue the examination of our beliefs... Always seeking greater truth. Are we practicing biblical principles? I'm just pointing out, when we do this, we're still dealing with what the Bible would have us deal with. So you've come to believe differently than me on some of these issues. I would suggest that we are incorporating different data sets. And perhaps we even have different methods of deciding what we believe. How have you... Emailer, come to believe what you have. For instance, you've stated the following beliefs. I'm going to just summarize what I believe that you stated. Over 700,000 deaths have occurred from COVID in the United States. New variants of SARS-CoV-2 are spawning daily. If you interact with others responsibly, you get the COVID vaccine for one's own safety and the safety of others. Thus, your position believes that vaccines keep you and others safe from SARS-CoV-2. You believe we need to continue vaccinating until this thing is finally under control, suggesting you believe we can vaccinate our way out of the, uh, our, way, our way to safety. You believe it isn't right to mandate or control people, but then you say, but be for real. We are in a pandemic, which suggests you believe that we are in a pandemic and that it is an eminent threat to life and that such, in such circumstances, limiting freedom, limiting freedom by mandates is okay. You believe the vac- that vaccines do have side effects, but they're insignificant to the number of deaths occurring from the virus. I hope I have been able to fairly and accurately represent the beliefs you hold. Uh, it's the best I could do from the email. But I have the question, how did you come to these beliefs? What method did you use? Did you go to the various sources and examine the data for yourself? Did you think it through for yourself? Compare it to your understanding of reality and and what you've known your whole life up to this point. Did you allow somebody else to tell you the answer? Did you base your beliefs on what the government said, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, or some other government official? Did you get persuaded because you watched interviews with very persuasive people and the interviewing hosts were in agreement? 
Is it because the legal authorities have passed certain laws and mandates and you trust them to protect society and you accept their laws as, a, as an outworking of truth and what's best for others? Is it because you have a personal experience with somebody who's died from COVID? Is it based on a consensus of your friends, peers, and neighbors? In other words, it seems to you the majority of people think this way, so if they're thinking this way, it must be true. Understand the issues around COVID aren't restricted to specifically what we believe on the facts. It's also about the methods we use to determine what we finally believe. Those methods have a big impact on, on how we approach any other subject matter. The Bible describes, oh, yeah, so the Bible describes all the governments and kingdoms of the world as being part of Satan's kingdom. All of them. And Satan is the father of lies. lies. What do you think that means for human governments? If they're part of his kingdom, and he's the father of lies, do you believe that our governments, any government, including the United States, are honest to their people, or do our governments lie to us? We can make the biblical case that since the governments of the world are Satan's, and Satan is the father of lies, that human governments will not only use beastly methods of coercion and violence and force, they will also lie. Why are so many people so willing to place blind faith in their governments? And what the government organizations tell you is where we place our faith, our trust, a spiritual issue. Is it an end-time Bible issue where you're trusting and who you're believing? Why do people trust their governments? Why do they resist the idea that their government is lying to them? Because they identify their own identity with their nation. I'm proud to be an American or a German or an Australian. We identify ourselves with our nation and our own ego is caught up in that. And since we want to be honest and people of integrity, we want to believe that the nation we identify with is also honest and of integrity. And so we resist the idea because we wouldn't do it. Therefore, our government wouldn't do it. But the governments are not honest. They're deceitful and manipulative. We will not find truth by trusting the governments. What we will experience if you trust your government is your mind will be damaged, your emotions will be manipulated, and your freedoms will be ultimately taken away. But if you trust blindly enough, you may go into your prison believing you are being locked away for your own safety and thank them for it. The Bible describes the Bereans in Acts 17.11 as being more noble in character because they wouldn't believe something just because the apostles told them. They wouldn't believe it. They went home and studied for themselves and only believed when the evidence supported it. If, if, if we aren't to believe, even when one of Jesus' apostles tells us that we're to study for ourselves, how much more we should, should we not believe when the government tells us? We should examine it for ourselves and believe when the evidence supports it. This is a principle for all healthy belief formations. When I give my patients my book, Could It Be This Simple? I always give it to them with these instructions. Never believe anything because it's in a book. I only want you to believe what you read in here after you've read it, thought about it, evaluated it, tested it, concluded with your own judgment that it's true, then you can believe it. Just because it's in a book, just because I say it, you shouldn't believe it. That's a bad reason to believe. This is the only way to truly become people that God has called us to become. See, there's a difference 
in believing two plus two equals four because your teacher told you versus realizing two plus two equals four because you understand math and the principles of mathematics. Now, both people can believe that's true, but, but there's a difference in the mind. The person who believes two plus two is four because they trust their teacher and their teacher told them the right answer, their mind is damaged for believing that way. They don't develop <clears throat> problem-solving skills. They'll need someone else to tell them the answer to the next problem. But the person who actually believes because they understand that's how it works, their minds are strengthened and developed. They get discerning skills. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> emailer, we have different beliefs. Do we have different methods on how we formulate our beliefs? God's method is leading people into truth by presenting the truth in love and leaving them free. That's the method that we advance at Come and Reason. That is why we are against mandates. If the truth is compelling then it should be straightforward to convince people. Mandates should not be needed. And when you see people employing the methods of mandates, coercion, bribes, intimidation, threats, censoring, accusations, withholding of civil liberties, restricting of freedom to travel, shop, assemble, worship, be employed in, in, in and the use of uh, force to force behavior for an injection... You can be certain, without even looking at the science, you can be certain that those using these methods don't have truth on their side. You can be certain. They are not working for God's kingdom. You can never advance God's kingdom by using Satan's methods. Never. So having said all this, let's examine your beliefs in light of evidence. You believe over 700,000 people have died of COVID. The 700,000 number is a number used by the government. However, this is purposely misleading and false. In order to maximize the fear of COVID, which allows those in power to use emergency powers to take away more freedoms, the government changed the reporting from those who died of COVID to those who died with COVID. There is a difference from dying of COVID and dying with COVID. The 700,000 number is those who've died with COVID, not of COVID. This is their first lie, and it magnifies the number of COVID deaths being reported and makes it appear many more people are dying from COVID than actually are. This was financially incentivized by the government paying hospitals up to 40% more if they listed COVID as the cause of death. And then they also changed rules or made rules, maybe we should put made rules, that you could list COVID as the cause of death if you just suspected it, even though there was no positive COVID test. And you'll get 40% more money. That would never be a cause of concern, would it? No, no. No. People are generally honest. Yeah. Second deception, so first deception. Second deception is the way they determine who has COVID. The PCR polymerase chain reaction test, it makes copies of genetic material and amplifies it over and over again by multiple times. Uh, and uh, then it, uh, until it can um, turn a reagent positive. But the more times you cycle the sample, the greater the amplification and the more false positives you get. Typically before COVID, it would, uh, they would run about 20 to 25 times 
uh, when the COVID rules came out, they amplified it to 45 times, which means it amplified the false positive rate. Another problem is the tests themselves. In order to be approved, the tests have to have a 95 minimum of a 95% sensitivity and 95% specificity, meaning that it'll get 95% of the people that are there and it will be right 95% of the time. Sensitivity, specificity. But, so um, this is from the FDA's own website, and I've got the links here, so I'm not making this up. For example, if the test has to go better than 95, if it's 98% specific, that means 2% of the time you'll get a false positive. If somebody doesn't have it, it'll say it's, it's positive. The predictive value of testing the community depends on how much of actual infection is in the community. If a population has, you're testing a population and 10% of the population is infected with COVID and you test people, if you get 100 positive results with 10% of the population infected, 20 of those will be false positives. It has an 80% predictive value, even though it's 98%, because it depends on the number of people you're testing. If you're not following that, you test 100 people that don't have it, two will come out positive. So the less actual infected in the population, the less value the test has. So next one, same test, same test, if you only have 1% of the population infected, 1%, one out of every 100 people is currently infected with COVID, and you test that population, 30% will be truly infected, 70% will be false positives. So whatever the number you get, it'll be 70% of them will, will say positive, but they actually don't have it. If you have 0.1%, 0.1% of the population you're testing is actually infected, and you test a group of people, 96% of your positive tests will be false positives. Only 4% will be actually true. Okay? So you, you all follow that. Now, typically, so the government then rolls out this test that is going to be vulnerable to have a lot of false positives, especially if you're testing people who don't have it. And then what do they do? They pay for free testing. If you're concerned... Somebody sneezed at the Walmart two aisles over, and you're concerned you might have been exposed. Go get your test. Now, typically, the way your own medical practice, your own history of, of interacting with the medical community has been, if you have to pull your wallet out and pay some money, you have to have a certain level of discomfort before you're willing to pay some money. In other words, you have to have a certain level of symptomology and concern before you're going to put your money on the table for the test. Isn't that true? Yes. But when it's free... And you've been told this could happen and somebody could have spread it and, and you saw one person in Walmart that didn't wear their mask that day and you can just line up and get another free test. So we have lots of people with low likelihood of being infected getting tests. So high likelihood, up to 96% of these things we hear reported in the community of all these positive tests, high likelihood many of those are false positives. They don't actually have it. Is this how they test oranges and kiwis and they come positive as well? No. It's a different problem with the test. I wasn't going to go into that. Sorry. Okay? Because that, because that is not as... Uh, I, I'm sticking with stuff that's kind of irrefutable. Okay. Okay? Derailed again. The, then the media picks up this high number of cases and begins promoting cases, new cases, new cases. Many of them, they're false positives. But they don't tell you that. 
And they also never tell you, we just had 2,700 new cases in Tennessee and 2,699 of them went home and had no problems and one of them had to have a little bit of treatment. They never tell you that. They just promote the number of cases to make you live in fear that you're in this infectious environment that's dangerous to interact in. It's a fear-generating construct. So the test that they used to create all these high numbers with all these high false positive rates, the FDA did a class one recall on the PCR test this year. It's, it's no longer approved to even be used for COVID testing. The third lie, the number of positive COVID cases represent the number of people with COVID. Setting aside the inaccuracy of the test, there's another accounting trick the government has done to inflate the numbers and make it look worse than it really is, and that is counting every positive test as a new case or a new individual. If the same person gets tested more than once and those new tests come back, so the same person got tested on Monday and they came back in on Wednesday and they came back in on Friday and they got tested, that would be three cases, not one. This is another. Every test positive is a new case is how it's reported. It's another accounting trick to magnify the sense we have a terrible pandemic going on. So we have artificially inflated the numbers of cases, and, in these, and it was these numbers that are still being touted and have been touted to create a sense of pandemic and, a hor- and it's these horrible numbers of deaths happening so that we can justify mask mandates, social distancing, school and church shutdowns, and vaccine mandates. Okay? Multiple layers of fraudulent activity creating a false pandemic sense and threat. According to the CDC's own report, I've got the link here, you can go look it up, only 6% of the 700,000 reported deaths were due solely to COVID. 94% of the other, of the deaths according to the CDC's own website, could have been listed as another cause, like renal failure, heart failure, liver failure, or some other cause. But because you'll get 40% more reimbursement if you list it as COVID, they're listed as COVID. There's another problem with the number of COVID deaths being reported. In addition to all this accounting mechanics designed to make it look bigger than it is. And that is the CDC's treatment guidelines and recommendations. According to the CDC's treatment guidelines and recommendations, if someone tests positive, they're sent home and told, don't come back until you're in distress. And then when you come back in distress, they admit you and the CDC's treatment recommendations include, and I've got the link, you can look it up a medicine called remdesivir. Remdesivir is an antiviral agent that failed its clinical trials for Ebola because in the four wings of that study, remdesivir arm, two other drugs, and a placebo arm, the remdesivir arm had significantly more deaths. I think in that study, 54% of the people in remdesivir died. And so they had to stop the study. People were dying in that arm alone. 25% of people who get remdesivir in the hospital die. Renal failure and other things. It causes renal failure and other organ failure. So their protocols maximize death. Contrast that with Udar Pradesh, a state in India, with 241 million people in that state. 
241 million people. We have a little over 300 million people. It's about 75% of our whole nation's population in that one state. Highly densely concentrated people living in close quarters. And they announced this week that 33 of their provinces are now COVID-free. No COVID. And, and when somebody's gotten COVID in their state, guess what their recovery rate is? 98.7% recovery rate. Well, how is this possible? They treated their entire population with prophylactic ivermectin, Amen. which our government obstructs. Why would our government do this? Why? Could it have anything to do with the fact that an ivermectin treatment course costs $12 and a remdesivir course costs $3,000? No. Could it be... That more, uh, could it be that more perceived sickness and death increases fear and allows the government to maintain control and emergency uh, restrictions? Hundreds of studies have documented that early treatment protocols reduce hospitalization death by 86%. And yet our CDC, FDA, Big Pharma, and the media continue to obstruct and block these early treatment protocols in our country. I've got the links here so you can see this. The government lies about the numbers of cases, the number of deaths, are, uh, and obstructs effective early treatment, pays hospitals more if a death is counted as a COVID death, gives them legal permission to count a COVID death as long as it's suspected, even without a positive test. And then someone comes to the hospital for treatment. They're instructed by the uh, government and CDC to use treatments that increase the likelihood of death and obstruct it from using treatments that have been demonstrated in over 100 studies to reduce the likelihood of death. That's what's happening in our country, folks. So your first belief, emailer, that there have been 700,000 COVID deaths is based on false information and therefore is a false belief. The belief, you believe that we're in a pandemic. No, we're in an endemic. An endemic is when a pathogen exists in the environment and is never going away. So any idea that we need to do this or do that or do these restrictions or do these interventions to make this thing go away is a false fantasy idea. It's not going away. It's here to stay. It's an endemic. You believe that if we want to protect yourself and others, you get the vaccine. And you know what? I agree with you. We should get vaccinated with a safe, effective, proven vaccines if and when we are in danger of being infected with pathogens that are virulent to us. Do you notice what I said there? Safe, effective, proven vaccines if and when we are in danger of being infected with pathogens that are actually a danger to us. Someone not at risk of an illness doesn't need to take a vaccine. There are diseases that exist in parts of the world that they have vaccines for that we in America don't get a vaccine for unless we travel to that part of the world. We don't need to vaccinate against stuff we have no risk of getting. There are diseases in our population only certain segments of the population are at risk for. And we don't vaccinate everybody. Only those at risk for it do we vaccinate. And children are not at risk from COVID. When the government, when, when they get exposed, when children get exposed, their immune systems fight it and kill it very quickly, and then, then they have lifelong robust immunity and they won't get it again or the variants. 
Anybody who is promoting vaccines for people 18 years of age and younger are either terribly misinformed, and I still know some pediatricians who are doing this, and they're terribly misinformed, and why are they doing it? Because the CDC guidelines are recommending it, but they're terribly misinformed, or they have another agenda. I will tell you the data. There are 81 million people in America under the age of 18 as of July 2020. Approximately, according to the various websites, uh, uh, in, in the 20, uh, excuse me, in the, yes, 20 months, or is it 22 months? 22 months, January 2020 to October 2021, there have been 499 people die that are 18 years of age and under from COVID. From or with? Good question. All right. They've been listed as dying as from COVID, so it could have been with COVID. The uh, majority of these individuals had various serious illnesses like leukemia, cystic fibrosis, and other very debilitating illnesses. The majority of them were this way. That turns out to be 22 deaths in this age group a month. Now, I looked up influenza in the 12 months prior to COVID, 2018 to 2019, of the same age group. They had uh, 372 die in 12 months in this age group from influenza, which works out to be 31 deaths a month. 22 deaths a month from COVID in this age group, 31 deaths a month from influenza in this age group. Now, when have we shut down the nation and the schools and made kids wear masks and mandated vaccines for every child in America for influenza? Understand, there is a deeply, <laughs> there's a deep fear being embedded in people's mind that is not based in reality. It's way magnified out of proportion. How about suicide in this age group? Suicide in this age group, 18 and under suicides? In, this, in, a, in, a, in 2019, in a 12-month period, before COVID, before the lockdowns, there were 2,756 suicides. That works out to 230 a month. Ten times as many suicides a month in this age group as COVID deaths. And that was before all the lockdowns and stress put on kids. Okay? I'm not saying there aren't some children who may die of COVID, but it is not a threat to healthy children. Any more, in fact, it's less of a threat than seasonal flu. What about vaccines for adults? Well, everybody that you know has had a polio vaccine. How many cases of breakthrough polio have you seen in your life? Seriously, think it through. Use some common sense. If you've traveled to third world countries, you've received a battery of vaccines for pathogens that are endemic in those countries. Now, after you received your vaccines, did you avoid the country? Did you avoid the place where those pathogens were, 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 were you'd be exposed to? Or did you go into those areas knowing you'd be exposed without fear? Because you've been vaccinated. Actual vaccines prevent infection and transmission of an illness. And once a person is vaccinated, they do not need to fear or avoid exposure to the pathogen. Everybody with me? According to the BioNTech application for the booster dose of community, page 20, we've got the link, 
Quote, an additional analysis appears to indicate that incidence of COVID-19 generally increased in each group of study participants with increasing time after dose two. In other words, the second dose, the longer you went, the more infection of COVID-19 you got. You're more likely to be infected. This thing is not a vaccine. Those who have been vaccinated against COVID-2 may actually be at increased risk of infection. This type of an inoculation may very well be compromising people's immune system, narrowing down the focus to only be able to fight against the original Wuhan variant and be completely paralyzed and incapable of fighting new variants. Which means to not get an infection, you're going to have to get a booster every 6 to 12 months. Kind of like a flu shot every year where they keep modulating and modifying the shot slightly for the new variants that keep coming along. Hmm. Sounds like a wonderful plan for Big Pharma to make money, doesn't it? Every year, you have to buy a new shot. Every year. Perpetually. Uh, Whereas people who have recovered have robust, broad-spectrum immunity against all variants and don't need the shot. Is there any wonder why there's pressure for everybody to be injected? Because it narrows your immune response and makes you more vulnerable to variants, which means you'll need new injections every year. These COVID injections are not vaccines, as we traditionally understand them. CDC report, uh, Texas prison outbreak, 185 of the 233 inmates, or 79% of them, were fully vaccinated. 74%, 172 of the inmates contracted the virus anyway. 42 were unvaccinated. 129 out of the 185 that got infected were fully vaccinated. July 21, COVID outbreak in Provincetown, Massachusetts. 74% of the infected, 74, three out of four of the infected were fully vaccinated. CDC Director Walensky admits in an interview, and I've got the link, you can watch her, that the vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission, and she states they were not designed to do so. <laughs> Listener, are you listening? England public health study from February t- uh, to September 2021 found that 63% of the deaths from COVID in England were among the fully vaccinated. I've got the data, I've got the chart, you can look it up. So the belief that we can keep ourselves and others safe by by these injections is another false belief. Not borne out by the science or the evidence. In fact, the documentation from the manufacturers never claimed they would prevent infection or transmission. Your second belief that we can get this under control through vaccination is also false. The science and evidence demonstrates that because the injections don't prevent infection and transmission, there is no possibility of eliminating this virus through the current campaign of vaccination. And in fact, the vaccinated are the vehicles for the growth and spread of the new variants. Viruses mutate all the time. The naturally recovered people have a wide, robust antibodies against all variants, and therefore they generally do not spread the mutated variants. 
However, the vaccinated have a narrow immunity with antibodies to the spike protein, and when the virus mutates enough that the spike protein shape changes enough, their antibodies can attack it, and they become infected with a new variant, and that new variant then can spread from them to other people. So one could say that we are now in a, if you want to use the word pandemic, a pandemic of the vaccinated. We are. So why are hospitals requiring their employees to get vaccinated? It's not science. It doesn't stop the spread. Vaccinated employees will still contract it and transmit it to other people. So why are they doing it? And the vaccinated employees will be more vulnerable to infection than the recovered unvaccinated because the government is financially pressuring them to do it. They will have their government funding restricted or cut off. This is not about science, and it is not about stopping COVID. If hospitals really wanted to protect their patients from being exposed, they would identify their COVID-recovered employees and give them full privileges to walk around without a mask, and they would require all their vaccinated to wear masks because their vaccinated are Petri dishes for the mutated versions, and they will be spreading them around their hospital. But they don't want to go with the science. In fact, I'll just keep going with the data, not my opinion. <laughs> uh, emailer, you suggested that being vaccinated has less risk of getting the active infection uh, and less risk of death. It actually protects us than getting the active infection, less risk of death. According to the government's own data in the CMS uh, website, there are 59 million Americans on Medicare. That's 18% of our population. So when I give you these numbers, this numbers is only out of 18% of the population. It's not looking at the whole population. It's just a narrow 18-slice Medicare recipients. Their medical information is tracked very closely by the government database, and according to the government's own data, just within that 18% slice, 48,465 people have died within 14 days of receiving the COVID vaccine. 48,465 have died within 14 days of receiving the COVID vaccine. 19,400 were under the age of 80. 28,065 were over the age of 80. Do you know how many of these deaths the government counts as a vaccine death? None. None. Because according to the government, you're not considered vaccinated until 14 days after you receive the injection. This is another accounting trick that the government is using to make it fraudulently appear that the vaccines are safer than they are. But it gets worse. Researchers have examined the studies done by Pfizer, Moderna, and others that got the emergency use authorization for these injections and under, understand they had to be a certain level of safety. If they showed high deaths, if you give these and people die from them, they wouldn't have been approved, right? And what they discovered is that... Uh, the study populations, the populations they used to do the studies upon, did not represent the at-risk from the virus population. The population at risk from the virus are the elderly. You all understand that, right? The young are not at risk from this virus. But the studies weighted the population that they studied to the young, and they only included 4.4% of people who were 75 years of age and older. This resulted in marked decreases in the negative outcomes in the studies, making the injections appear safer in 
to, than they actually are. They are actually a threat to the elderly people. So, this is, again, a quote from the researchers. This is not my words. It's read out of it. I put the link in. You can go and read the article yourself. But, quote, a novel best-case scenario cost-benefit analysis shows very conservatively that there are five times the number of deaths attributable to each inoculation versus those attributable to COVID-19 in the most vulnerable 65 years of age and older demographic. According to this analysis, you will have five times the likelihood of dying if you get the injection than you will if you get the infection, if you're 65 and older. And this is just a small sample, emailer, of the evidence that exposes the multitude of lies being told by the government and the media. Do you see why there is such strong censorship these lies could not stand if we had traditional atmosphere of openness and truth. If people knew that COVID is no more lethal than a moderate flu strain, has extremely low risk for children, is not transmitted by the unvaccinated COVID recovered, that children are not a threat to their grandparents, that masks are completely ineffective and useless in stopping this, even the N95 masks, a lot of research on this. I can't tell you the number of studies, but I didn't have time to go through all those this morning that the injections don't prevent infection transmission or reinfection, and that the injections weaken the immune system and make you more vulnerable to variants in the future. If people actually knew all of this, what would happen to their fear of COVID? It would go down. And when they're no longer afraid, then there would be no need for the compliance with all of the unreasonable controls and lockdowns that have been placed upon us. So, emailer, we have different beliefs about what's happening, but are we both lovers of truth? Do we want to follow the truth where it leads? Are we both looking to Scripture to embrace and apply God's methods to our own minds and how we think and determine what's true? Are we going to apply God's methods to how we treat each other? You will never find me wanting to put mandates on people or prohibitions or restrictions in saying that you are forbidden and not allowed to get the vaccine if you want it. I wouldn't do that to you. You're free. You have your own mind, your own individuality. Weigh the evidence for yourself. Come to your own conclusion. I respect that. Let me say this as clearly as I can. When the government uses its power to compel conscience, to coerce people to go against their loyalty to their creator in the governance of their own bodies, then the government has crossed the line and is fulfilling Bible prophecy and acting as the agent of Satan. And if you support the government in doing this, you're aligning yourself with the enemy of God, whether as an individual or as a corporate leader of a hospital, church, or other business. Well said. Well, our memory text for today. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What does this mean? What does this text mean? What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, souls, and strength? Would one's strength perhaps refer to their bodies? And are we to honor God and love the Lord with our bodies and our bodies are a temple that we care for? Would that mean we should be vigilant about what we put in it? Does it only mean what we eat or how about what we inject? Next verse, Moses says, These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
upon your hearts. What is the new covenant? I will write my law on your hearts. That's right. Now, a few chapters later, in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, Moses says the following. Tells them, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. So if you're faithful, if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather your new grain, new wine, and oil. What does this mean? What law lens do you listen to it through? How did the Jews apply this? through a behavioral rule-making list and enforcement. And what did that lead to eventually? Persistent rebellion and eventual rejection of Christ. What's the design law of you? Why will observing all the commands the Lord has given result in greater strength? Why will it result in better life and health? What does it mean to have rain in due season? Autumn and spring rains to gather grain and new wine and oil. Well, what happens to our health when we live in harmony with the laws of health? Hydration, nutrition, sunshine, and so forth. Okay. And what happens to our mental, emotional, and spiritual health if we forgive those who wrong us rather than hold grudges? If we are peacekeepers rather than um, war makers? If we focus on love rather than fear? I don't know if you know, neurobiologically, when you do these things, you activate anterior cortex, you calm amygdala. As amygdala calms, you reduce the inflammatory cascades in your body. You have less cortisol. You have less uh, auto, uh, autoimmune problems. You have less um, uh, inflammatory cytokines. So you have better energy. You uh, have less uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart attacks, strokes, autoimmune problems, uh, bone density issues are all improved. You live longer on the earth the Lord your God has given you if you live in harmony with the law of love. It's neurobiological and physiological because it's design law. It's how God built reality. What does it mean, the rain? Is this merely physical water filling the land to help bring a crop, or is there a spiritual meaning here? Well, the rain symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the early rain, and this before the second coming, we're praying for the latter rain. The grain represents Jesus, the seed of the woman, and the wave sheaf, the seed, which is the bread that's come down from heaven, which is the word made flesh, the truth about God that we are to internalize. That's, that's Jesus. The new wine represents the blood, which represents uh, the sinless life of Christ that he perfected, that we partake of as we have been one to trust through the word or the truth, and we open the heart. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit applying the life and truth, thus transforming and healing us. It's all metaphorical, symbolic, representing a larger reality. Consider this historic quote, and we're going to go over time. I'm just going to give you uh, a warning. We're going to go over because I want to finish this quote, if I can, uh, that comes out of Review and Herald, October 8, 1901. The prosperity of God's people is dependent upon their obedience. Why? What law lends? It's design law. It's just saying your health and wellness is dependent on living in harmony with the laws of health. That's all. God is not going to put a demerit in a book in heaven if you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. 
but your lungs and heart are going to be, take damage and you will eventually not climb stairs as well and ride bikes as well and, and maybe not even uh, be able to sleep as night as well without a little oxygen around your nose. The Lord declares, it shall come to pass, and if you shall hearken diligently to my commands, which I I command this day, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart. And she's quoting this Deuteronomy passage. Can you get love from people by commanding it? No. By proclamations, by threats and legislation and rule enforcement. So what kind of law is God advancing when they link commandment keeping with love for God? If you can't get it by command, by proclamation, by, by legislation, what kind of law is being described here then? Behold, I set before them this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you do not obey the, Lord, the Lord's commands. What does this mean, a blessing and a cursing? Well, he stands up there with his magic wand, and he watches who keeps the rules, and he puts some pixie dust down and blesses them. And for those who breaks the rules, he pulls out his rod of iron and smacks them in order to make sure that they suffer. He curses them. Is that what happens? This is how many people see it. No, that's imperialism. That's paganism. This is design law. It's simply, again, an outworking of how reality works. Harmony with God's laws bring health. Health to the mind, health to the character, health to the body. Violating them results in injury. Uh, These words should be as distinctly stamped upon every soul as though they were written with a pen of iron. Obedience brings its reward. Disobedience, its retribution. There you go. Design law. God has given his people positive instruction and has laid upon them positive restriction that they may obtain a perfect experience in his service and be qualified to stand before the heavenly universe and before the fallen world as overcomers. They are to, be, they are to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Those who fall short of making the preparation essential will be numbered with the unthankful and the unholy. Woo. But he gave you he gave you a list. A list of positive instructions and positive restrictions. You better keep the rules. Is that what he's saying? Is that what this what this author's saying? What does it mean? Positive instructions, positive restrictions. And what, what are they for? What's the reason? Clarity. Well, it said in the text that they may obtain a perfect experience. Are you a perfectionist? Jennings, are you a perfectionist? You bet. Absolutely. I want the per- perfection of Christ, don't you? But what does it mean, Bible perfection? If you're in the human law model, it's about deeds done, performance, how well you carry out the task, not make a mistake, don't stumble, don't fall, don't come up short in anything you do. If you're under the design law model, it's about a perfect heart attitude, a willingness to do your best. A love for God and love for others. I will give you some text for this. Matthew five forty three to 48. Remember, we're looking for the, obtaining the perfect experience. You've heard it said, love their neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's not about perfect deed performance. It's about loving others who don't deserve your love. This is the perfection. This is the challenge. 
the blood of Jesus, of the Lamb, this is how they overcame. They overcame by the blood, which is his life, which gives us new desires and new motives and gives us the power to make the choice to say no to anger, to no to bitterness, no to the survival drives, no to retaliation, and to say no through Christ, I'm going to love you even though you don't deserve it. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. This is the new motives, the new desires. And Satan will tempt us with strong feelings to choose the wrong. But God wants us wants to free us from the domination of fear and selfishness. He wants us to go strong in his love and in trust to him that we don't have to watch out for ourselves. He's watching out for us. So the next, next sentence in the quote, the Lord brings his people by ways they know not that he may test and prove them. I knew there was a test. I always hated tests. I studied hard. I see some uh, friends I went to high school with in here. Remember those chemistry tests? Sir, <laughs> reward. Oh, they can be. I see. A, I see a professor in here. Yeah, the professor says tests are rewards. Mm-hmm. No, they're rewards for the student. You know, I eventually got to that point. It wasn't always at that point. But what law lends you hearing this through? If it's the human-imposed law, this is a setup. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, no matter how well you do, you are still a sinner, and you will never be perfect, and you will always fall short, and you will always fail the test. This is how it's always presented, isn't it? But design law, oh no. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, do you remember? This is the tree where Adam and Eve would choose what they would know. This is not a tree of data. It's not a tree of facts. It's a tree of experience. Life eternally might know you, the only true God. Not know about, not have some data sets, not know some, some facts about God, to actually know him. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was where they would choose whether they would know good by choosing to trust God and say no to the temptation. And thus, in, they, in their experience, they would know loyalty, they would know fidelity, they would know love, they would know trust. They would solidify in their character the character of Christ by rejecting the lie. But if they chose the lie and believed it and brought it in and acted on it, then they would choose to know deceit, they would know selfishness, they would know pain, they would know distrust, they would know fear. This is what they would know. They would know either good or they would know evil. God brings the people by way they know not that he may test and prove them. What God wants us to know is that he is trustworthy, not conceptually, in reality. We can trust him. And he wants us to know his love working out in our hearts. We are brought into circumstances where we must choose what we really believe and what we really value in the choices we make and how we live and how we treat others. This is how God's law is ultimately sealed into our hearts. God cannot form characters for us, but he inspires us with Christ, gives us new desires, gives us a longing, gives us the motives, gives us the wisdom, gives us the power if we'll choose it. But he leaves us free to reject it and go with the fear instead. Next sentence. This world is our place of proving. Here we decide our eternal destiny. Who decides our eternal destiny? I thought our eternal destiny was signed in the judgment. When we stand before the great white throne and God looks at the books and he looks at the deeds and he, and he goes down the list and, he want, and he's checking to make sure that a blood payment has been applied to each one. And if I forgot one and didn't ask for it and there's one left on there, then he judges me guilty and kills me. I, my, my destiny is in his hands, right? And in the future, no. Your destiny is in your hands by what you choose now. And is this choice 
for your eternal destiny, primarily a choice to go to an altar call in an evangelistic meeting and then follow that up with a symbolic immersion. While these things have their place and are helpful in helping a person make that public stand and solidify their commitment, is that primarily what's being spoken of here? Or we decide our eternal destiny by the daily walking and living out in our relationship with God, his principles in our life, facing the trials that come and experience the temptation. And in those trials, in those difficulties, when the fear is tempting us, then we fall on our knees, then we seek God, then we choose to act in trust, then we give him the future. Is that when we get the victory? That's when we stand faithful in the face of the rejection, the loss of earthly wealth and reputation. Satan seeks to get us to betray God through the loss of anything we might value more than God. If you value anything more than God, Satan is going to threaten it. It's going to happen. And you'll have to decide, do you trust God even if you lose that? And it could be a person. It could be a position. It could be an ability. Next Continuing the quote, God humbles his people that his will may be wrought out through them. Thus, he dealt with the children of Israel and he led them through, as he led them through the wilderness. He told them that their fate would have, um, he told them what their fate would have been had he not laid a restraining hand upon that which would have hurt them. This is what your fate would have been if I'm not holding in check the stuff that would attack you. He speaks to them. Hear what the Lord says as a revelation of the ministration of angels who led them through the great terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water who brought forth and who, uh, who brought forth water out of the rock who fed them in the wilderness with manna and so forth. Do you see a metaphor here of our Christian journey? In our lives, we're in the wilderness of sin. We're under the fiery assaults of Satan uh, and his agents, the serpents and the scorpions. Uh, and we, we face sickness and disease. There's a drought. Do you feel the drought in the world today of godliness, of truth? There's a drought of truth, a drought of godliness, a drought of love in the world today. This is what's happening. Uh, and we look to the rock, Jesus Christ, for our water, the water of life, our food, the manna that strengthens us. We cannot feed our souls on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. That's the flesh pots of Egypt. We must feed our souls in the bread of heaven. Continuing with the quote. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that has given you power to get wealth, that he may, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto the, your fathers, as it is this day, as it is this day. And you shall be, if you do, I'm translating King James here, that's why it's a little stumbly. Uh, if, it, if, if it shall be, if you do all, if you do all forget the Lord your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish. Why will they perish? Because God gets angry, he puts a demerit in a book, he uses power to torture and kill. No, 
They perish because they choose to separate themselves from the one who protects and provides the source of life. It's design law. As the nations which uh, the Lord destroys before your face, so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord. It It is a solemn thought that by our present course of action, we are deciding our eternal destiny. By your present course, by what you're choosing. In how we treat others. If you let fear dominate you to the point that you want to control and compel others to behave in certain ways so that you can feel better about your own virtue, your own morality, your own security, you're deciding your destiny. And it's not in the kingdom of heaven. Let those who know the truth practice the truth, remembering that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The mature are those who develop a practice, the ability to discern. They think for themselves. They follow the evidence. They apply the principles of God. In his dealing with ancient Israel, God has given us an illustration of the result of disobedience. Even as he punished the children of Israel, so he will punish all who cause his glory to be reproached. Pause. Whoa, there it is. I knew it. I knew it was there somewhere. He punished them, and you better watch out because he'll punish you too. How did he punish? What method, though, was used to punish Israel? Didn't he just pull away and let them experience what they wouldn't have experienced if he was there to protect them? Exactly. He did punish. You insist on rebelling. You insist on going your own way. Okay, I'll let you have what you've chosen. And they re- and, and I will read the next, next sentence. Here's the next sentence from the author. They would not submit to God's way, so he permitted them to have their own way to carry out the purposes of their unsanctified hearts. Freedom. Freedom, yes. He gave them freedom. That's design law working out. Christ warned the Jews of the danger and entreated them to return to him, but they were too proud to accept his overtures of mercy. They persisted in their rebellious course, and as a result, the protection of God's spirit was withdrawn from them. And we see the suffering. When Christ predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, listen to this, folks, he predicted also the destruction of the world. He saw that till the end of earth's history, men would refuse God's mercy. God has given men and women talents that they may work in his service, but many in their selfish misuse of these, many um, use them in selfish misuse. By a love of money and a desire for supremacy, do they rob God and hurt their brethren? Oh, we don't see anything like that happen in a society today. Do we? We don't see any corporations going and making billions and billions and billions by advancing practices that hurt the people, do we? Unbelievable. God's people are to maintain the elevated character of his work. They are to carry forward his work uh, in his lines. Christ is their pattern. God has made us his stewards to prove us and to try us, even as he proved and tried ancient Israel. He will not have his army composed of undisciplined, unsanctified, erratic soldiers who would misrepresent his order and purity. Get in line, people. No, this is true. This is design law. What's described? That our choices and how we deal with adversity, how we deal with trials, how we deal with conflict uh, is determining what's being sealed into our character. That's what's happening. Do we embrace the justice of the world? Do we seek to make others pay? Do we try to get the power of the state and force mandates? Or do we humble ourselves to our creator? We seek his wisdom. We present the truth and love. We leave people free. 
Those who think that they can please God by obeying some other law than his and by performing works other than those which which the gospels enjoined are mocking God. How many people have I heard during this whole COVID crisis getting on and saying, if you love people, you'll do X, Y, and Z, and it's it's godly to support these mandates and this kind of stuff. Uh, This is some other law. This is not God's law. They are insulting, these people who do this, they are insulting the Holy One of God, the Holy One of Israel. Warning after warning is given in this last message of mercy to the world. Appeal after appeal is made. The worst of sinners are to hear the call. All are to be given a final test. All are to be given a... I'm telling you, what's happened in the world today is part of that final test. People are having to decide worldwide. How are they personally going to deal with it and how will they treat others on this? Are you joining the side of the beastly systems of a corporate world structure that, uh, that corporate, uh, uh, corporate business elites are joining with, with government powers to force and mandate consciences of people all to, 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 to save lives, folks. It's all for a good cause. Or are you recognizing the evil in the methods and standing firm for the principles of freedom and liberty. You're, you're being tested. When the Savior saw that the Jewish people, a, a nation divorced from God, he saw also a professed Christian church united to the world and the papacy. He saw the Jewish people, a nation divorced from God, he saw the Christian church in the future. Joined to imperialism, using the power of the state to advance its agenda, rejecting the principles of Protestantism, freedom of conscience, and republicanism, civil liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, freedom of the, all, all these freedoms that we have. And this is a closing. And as he stood upon Olivet, weeping over Jerusalem till the sun sank behind the western hills, so he is weeping over and pleading with sinners in these last moments of time. And so am I. As I get these emails from people like this, it breaks my heart to see these people that profess Christ as their Savior being so easily deceived by the layers of lies and the manipulation and believing that such principles are actually godly because we're going to save lives. And in truth... Again, if you don't know the science, you can just follow the methods and you can know they don't have truth on their side and it turns out they're not actually saving lives, they're taking lives. It's a grand deception. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the world. We're sorry for, for any time and place that we have misrepresented you and let you down. We ask that you will pour your spirit into our hearts now and enable us to be more effective. So many people out there really, really are just deceived, Lord. Their hearts want to follow you, but they have been so duped and tricked. Help us become more effective to be a light that can lead them back to the kingdom of God and the principles of your your government. We pray in your holy name. Amen.